Do we have any, uh, do we have anybody old enough to be a Seinfeld fan? Anybody watch Seinfeld? They were, okay, good, 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 good. Hopefully uh, you remember the um, Can't Spare a Square episode. Do you remember that one? Let me set it up for you if you don't, uh, if you don't know it. Uh, there's an episode where Elaine, who is um, Jerry's like only female friend, and they're at the coffee shop, monks, and she says, I have, to, I have to use the restroom. And so she goes into the bathroom, and she goes in there, and she gets all situated, trying to be as comfortable as I can <laughs> about this story. She gets all situated, and then she realizes that there is no toilet paper in, in the toilet paper holder. Hopefully, you have never experienced that. So uh, she's in there, she realizes there's no toilet, like, oh no. And there's a lady in the stall next to her. And so she says, I'm really sorry, excuse me, I just got in, I realize there's no toilet paper in here. Can you spare some toilet paper? And the lady is like, no, I can't spare any. And she's like, oh, just can you spare a square? And the lady says, I can't spare a square. And she gets out of the bathroom then and turns out that the lady in the next stall next to Elaine is the woman that Jerry is currently dating. And so she comes out and she starts to tell Jerry about this crazy woman who was in the bathroom and wanted toilet paper. And she said, I couldn't give her any. And she said, you know, ju you just need to have enough to feel comfortable. And I just didn't think that I could spare a square and still be comfortable. You ever been in a situation uh, where you felt that if you gave something that you had away, you might not have enough left over for yourself? You ever been in that where, where you felt like if I, if I pay this bill, if I help this friend, if I do this thing, there won't be enough for me to feel comfortable. I, just, I can't spare a square. And when you're in that situation, um, the, the anxiety begins to kind of well up. You start to get anxious about, like, I don't, like, I'm being asked for something, and if I give it, there might not be enough for me, and oh no, if there's not enough for me, and I can't do what I need to do, and get, take care of this and that and the other thing, and there's so all this anxiety. Um, if I give what I have, I might not have enough. And so we think, I'm, I might go hungry. I might be thirsty. I might have to do without if I give away what I have. And we're going to call this the, the scarcity mentality. And we see the scarcity mentality, we, we see this mentality played out over and over and over again in, in the Bible. So when the Israelites are in the desert, they're wandering for 40 years, they're afraid that their water or their food might run out. And, and so they, they try to hold on to as much as they can. It's a manna or it's the quail. They try to hold on to it. Um, Judas in the New Testament with Jesus, one of the disciples, he worried that the woman pouring perfume on Jesus was wasting money that could have been sold, uh, could have been given to the poor. And of course, Judas believed he was one of those poor, which is why he stole money out of the money bags of Jesus all the time. 
then, then there's the disciples on the hill. Jesus is teaching uh, out at, uh, uh, on, on the hill, the side uh, north edge of the Sea of Galilee, and the people have all come, and he says they're hungry, and he tells the disciples to, to feed them. And they said, oh, all we have is these few fish and these few loaves of bread. And if we give away what we have, there won't be enough for the rest of us. Or, or then we could talk about Ananias and Sapphira. Again, Acts, I think it's Acts chapter four, somewhere around there. Ananias and Sapphira sold some property and they brought the money and they lied to the church and they lied to God about how much money they had sold their property for um, because they wanted to keep some of what they had. They were scared that they might not have enough if they gave it all. And this is the feeling that is sometimes present when we think about tithing or percentage giving. If, if I give 10% um, or if I give a percentage of my income, I, I don't know how I'm gonna survive. How am I gonna make it? I don't have enough to stretch to the end of the month. I won't have enough for the things that I need or want if I give some away. So scarcity causes us to, it's not there. Scarcity causes us to hold tight to what we have out of fear that there won't be enough. Yay. Thank you. Ah, okay. That's, that helps. That helps. Uh, uh, scarcity causes us to hold tight to what we have out of fear that there won't be enough. So uh, scarcity mentality, it's what causes us to have anxiety about how many presents there might be or might not be under uh, the tree on Christmas morning. Scarcity mentality causes us to have anxiety about how much gas is in the tank versus how much change is in the cup of water. Uh, it's what causes us to hold on to relationships that are toxic or jobs that, um, that treat us poorly because we feel like if I let go of this, there won't be anything else and I'll be without. The feeling of scarcity that there won't be uh, enough or there won't be another causes us to tighten our grip on what we have and then to live in fear. Is it working? We're gonna, we're gonna test it. Uh, maybe it's working. Is it working? Yay. Okay, good, get rid of that thing. Oh, now, now you're gonna, now you're gonna get it. Okay, <laughs> I'm all. Now we're all, we're all good, everything's going. Uh, uh, the, the, the feeling of scarcity causes us to feel like there won't be enough or that there won't be another, another job, another relationship, another whatever come along that, that, that we'll be able to do. And so we hold on to those things. It's, it's what causes us to live in fear. And this scarcity mentality, it, it strangles our faith. When we live out of this scarcity mentality, that if I give, if I serve, if I help, there won't be enough. I won't have enough energy, I won't have enough time, I won't have enough money for the things that I want or the things that I need, then that causes our world to get smaller as we hold tighter to the things that we think we need so much. As I thought about the feelings of scarcity in, in my life, the times that I have felt that way, I realized that um, the feeling of scarcity is, I, I mean, maybe not all the time, but, but certainly a lot of the time, 
The feeling of scarcity seems to be a byproduct of greed. This, um, this feeling of greed where I've got to have more in order to be stable, in order to feel comfortable, in order to have enough. And it doesn't matter if it's toilet paper or if it's money in the bank or Bitcoin, we gotta have more of it so that we feel stable, we feel secure, we feel like we're okay and that we can handle the things that, that come. And so this feeling of scarcity, which causes us to have anxiety about letting anything go that might, that it might leave us in the lurch later, really often is fed from feelings of, of greed. Uh, and the desire for more, which is greed, then fuels our feelings of not having enough. I need more to feel comfortable. I need more to make sure that I'm protected and I'm set for the rest of my life. And so then I begin to live out of this scarcity mentality. And, and believe it or not, I think it's something that the... Um, um, it's not something that the poor struggle with as much as the wealthy. Um, this idea of scarcity, because when you don't have enough, you learn to kind of roll with that. When you feel like you do have enough and you've got it socked away and, and, and put wherever and you're like, okay, I can live, then you begin to start feeling like I've got to protect this stuff that I have. So we're going to look today at two verses in the Bible, James 5 and then um, I think it's Luke uh, 12, or Luke 21 maybe, um, or two stories that kind of approach this from different angles and see what we can get out of it. So let's look at James chapter 5 first. Here's what, uh, here's what James says. Come now, you rich, weep and howl. Those are not things we typically associate with people who, uh, uh, who fit into this category, whatever that is. By the way, um, I, I don't know if you're aware of this. They did a study several years ago, uh, and they asked people at different levels of wealth about who they thought was rich uh, versus who, who maybe they thought were, was poor. And it was funny, at every level of financial security that they talked to people at, they always thought that the level above them, that was the rich people. If, if, I, get, if I could get, just get to there, then I'd, I'd be rich too. But right now I'm not, I'm not rich. So it's total perspective. Anyway, uh, that was for free. So you know. Uh, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. So uh, you're rich, there's misery coming upon you because your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. We talked about that last week. Your gold and silver have corroded. We talked about that last week. And their corrosion will be evidenced against you and will eat your fresh flesh like fire. Um, you have laid up, don't, don't switch yet, Julie. You have laid up treasure in the last days. So he's saying, we talked about treasure and pleasure last week. So he's saying you've laid up treasure here on earth in the, in the last days. Now this does not seem a uh, very, very happy verse, right? This, especially if you're rich, you're like, wait a minute, this is none of, the, none of these things do I want to do. 
Um, and so then the next few verses come, and here's where he really sucker punches you. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your field, which you kept back by fraud, they're crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person who did not resist you. James is like, you'd walk away sad after this conversation if James was having it uh, to you. Now, you've heard me say several times throughout this series that there is nothing sinful about having money. Having money, having wealth, there's nothing sinful about that. The condemnation that comes in Scripture around wealth is always um, given to the wealthy. It's always tied to their, uh, not to their money, but to their behavior or their attitude. Okay, so when there's condemnation in scripture about the wealthy, like from James here, it's not about the money they have. It's about the behavior that they continue in or the attitudes that they have about their money. So there's specifically two problems that money creates in our lives that uh, brings up or reveals in our lives. The first problem that money brings up is um, when the wealthy person begins to trust their money instead of God. So there comes a point when I've amassed uh, you know, whatever kind of funds that I think I need, that I don't have to trust in God anymore to provide my needs because I have enough to take care of myself. So if there's a problem, if something breaks down with the car or some problem with the house, I simply can, can write a check or, or get out Venmo or Cash App and I can take care of it. I don't need God to help me every day to provide for my needs because I can provide for my needs by myself. And, and so that's the first problem that happens. When you begin to build wealth, you begin to rely on yourself instead of relying on God. The second problem that money creates or brings about in our lives is that the excess money that we have, we tend to use it for selfish purposes instead of sacrificial purposes. So it often seems like the more we get around us financially, the, the more we feel like we need and creates this scarcity mentality. Um, and so what we do is we end up using it for the things that we want um, in selfish purposes and not sacrificial purposes. Um, I, I was talking to a preacher friend of mine a while back and, and he said, uh, one of the interesting things about people is that uh, he had a son who was going on a mission trip and he was uh, gonna, had to go raise money, had to raise multiple thousands of dollars to go on this mission trip and do this thing. And uh, my preacher friend told his son, as you are going to different church people to ask for money, be prepared. Because the people that you go to that you know have the means to, to simply um, uh, like underwrite your whole trip, like they had the financial means to underwrite your whole trip and it would not hurt their bottom dollar at all, those are the people who you probably get the least amount from. And the people that you go to that you think won't be able to help much, they tend, will tend to be the more generous people. And so that's exactly what played out. He went to several homes where people could have, could have simply probably opened their wallet and covered his uh, expenses 
And um, they said things like, well, why don't you go out and get a job? You have a few months before you're going on this trip. Uh, and the people who he, he went to and he thought, well, there's no way they're gonna be able to, to support me. They were very generous and, and gave uh, to his trip. So um, notice the, the people that, J- that James is condemning. They're not just wealthy people. They're jerks who happen to have money. <laughs> And, and so that's really, when the Bible talks about finances and the way that people deal with finances, it really is about behavior and attitude. It's not about having money. There's nothing wrong with having money in the bank. It's how we handle that money, our attitude towards that, our behavior uh, in day-to-day life. And, and so um, wealthy people are condemned for how money caused them to behave. Wealthy people condemned for how money caused them to behave. And and the first thing that we notice that James says uh, is that they withheld wages from their workers. And they did this for made-up reasons, James says. They were not legitimate reasons. And so that was things like, well, you didn't lay the grain in the right direction. And it makes no difference, but I wanted you to lay it to the left and you laid it to the right, so I'm not gonna pay you. Or you said you were gonna be done at two and you didn't finish until 2.30, and so I'm not paying you. And so they, they made up these reasons why they didn't have to pay the person that they should have paid who um, did the job. Secondly, he said, they, they lived in luxury and self indulgence. And so they neglected the needs of the people who worked and provided for the things that they wanted, who harvested their grain and stored it and did all of that work. They refused to pay them, but then um, they would take that money that really belonged to their workers and they'd use it on themselves. Well, I've got extra money. I could do whatever I uh, want to. And so it gave them the appearance that they had more but what they were spending was the money that really belonged to somebody else. Uh, The third thing that that they did is that by their actions, they allowed good people to die. By their actions or inactions, they allowed good people to die. And so they had the ability to help. They could have intervened, but they chose not to. And then people ultimately died because they weren't getting paid or they, uh, they weren't getting the things that were due them. So if you, if you want like a, a more modern understanding of, of this or uh, another kind of way to think about it, um, Ebenezer Scrooge in, in that famous story that comes out at Christmas time. Uh, and of course, every time I think of it, I think of uh, Scrooge McDuck. So it's hard to get away from that. Um, But Ebenezer Scrooge, before he's visited um, that night, this is the way that he lived. He withheld money that was due to Bob Cratchit for ridiculous reasons. He lived in luxury and self-indulgence because, in part, he didn't pay those people who were due for the work that they um, did. And then by his action and inaction, he was causing the demise of of other people. So James' words, they can seem pretty harsh. But James has been watching this go on for some time. It's been happening over and over again, and he simply cannot hold his tongue any longer. And, and, and so he's like seen the same injustice perpetuated over and, and over 
uh, again. Remember, James' words, though, are inspired by God's Spirit. They, 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 they weren't flippant. They weren't uttered out of um, just jealousy or just angered. But they were issued as a result of a problem that he had seen happen over and over again, specifically in the church. Because remember, James is writing to Christian people, to followers of Jesus. And he's saying, look, you're a a follower of Jesus. Jesus came to serve, not to be served, and to give his life uh, as a ransom for many. And you are not living like that. You, you, You are perpetuating injustice. You are getting more wealthy on the backs of the people who are causing you to have wealth. And and so uh, James is just as this kind of, what we say, righteous indignation about what he sees going on in the church. We oftentimes, we think we can accumulate wealth, we can exploit workers, we can find security in material possessions without any spiritual harm, but we cannot. How we treat others, including what we withhold when we have the means to help, has a profound impact on our spiritual life. God takes our treatment of other people seriously. And and when our relationships in a horizontal way, our relationships with other humans, when those are, uh, when there's a problem there, and, and when we're elevating ourselves over others, or when we're not living a sacrificial life, when we're not serving, when we're not loving others, it affects our relationship with God. How we treat others, including what we withhold, has this profound impact on our spiritual lives, and it's why Jesus spends so much time talking about money in the New Testament. These people had money, They absolutely could spare a square and much more than that, but they refused. They didn't have enough because they wanted to keep what they did have for themselves. So uh, in contrast, I I wanna look at another passage and another person who handled what they had much differently. It's in Luke 21. Jesus looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts in the offering box. And then he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. Why? We go back to, it's not about the amount of money. It's about the behavior, the attitude. For they all contributed out of their abundance. They gave a small portion of what they had to offer. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Now, nobody else but Jesus knew that, right? Jesus and the widow. They're the only two people who knew that she was putting in everything she had to live on. But Jesus understood the heart that she had to have, her attitude, her behavior in that moment. And so just like the wealthy aren't condemned for having money, but for how they handle money, The widow isn't complimented for the amount of money that she puts in the offering, but for her attitude of faith in giving all she had to live on. In contrast to the feelings of scarcity we've talked about, this woman is able to be generous because of how much, not because of how much she had, but because of her faith in God who had it all. Um, We're going to call this the generosity mentality. And the Bible is full of examples of 
the generosity mentality. Jesus said, in my Father's house, there are many rooms, meaning there's plenty of room for everybody who wants to come. Anybody who wants to come can come. There's always going to be room left over. Uh, The Bible speaks of heaven as a huge dinner party. And when we come together, there's gonna be this unlimited amount of food and it's gonna be amazing. And, and, And he says this idea that there's always a seat for you. Anybody who comes, there's always another seat. There's always an extra seat open. There's this unlimited supply and there's always room. We're told in scripture that God will always answer when we ask or seek or knock. Jesus' whole life expressed this generosity mentality. He forgave sins, he fed hungry, he welcomed the outcast. He never turned down someone who came to him for help. And so while the disciples on the hill that day displayed the scarcity mentality, they said, all we have are these few fish and these few loaves of bread. There's no way we can feed everybody. We won't even have enough uh, to eat ourselves. Jesus understood that there's always enough when God is involved. And so Jesus said, bring that food to me and I'll show you what happens when you trust God with the little that you have. He can provide much much more. And so generosity allows us to let go of what we have in faith that through God we will always have enough. Instead of the the scarcity mentality, which makes us want to hold on to what we have, generosity mentality allows us to let go of the things we have because we know God always has enough to supply our needs. And so generosity causes us to have peace even when there aren't a lot of presents under the tree. It helps us to focus on what we have instead of what we want or what we think we need. Generosity allows us to let go with faith instead of hanging on to those things in fear. Having the attitude of generosity, that there is enough in God, no matter how much I give, no matter matter what goes through my hands, God always can supply Uh, supply we with more. Even when I don't have it all, God has it all. And that mentality, understanding that, allows us to loosen our grip on what we have in faith. We're able to loosen that grip, live with an open hand. And then that faith and that life of generosity, it begins to strangle fear. And so instead of living in scarcity, always being afraid that we're never going to have enough, we begin to live out of this generosity where we go, God has enough always. And so I always have access to him. And so it strangles that fear and allows us to live more open-handed with others. So when we think about the feeling of generosity, we realize that generosity is a direct byproduct of the work of God in our lives. As God works in our lives, as he causes us and helps us to look more like Jesus, we're able to live a more open-handed life. The desire to, to give instead of hoard, it fuels our feelings of contentment with what God has already provided. And so then we begin to, we begin to go, okay, well, what I have has come from God and God has more. And so if you need it, I'm going to help you whenever I can. Believe it or not, it, th- this is something that um, is not something the wealthy understand as much as the poor. 
Because again, we've got these struggles that come with having money that affect our behavior, affect our attitude. And when we don't have that, it's easier for us to trust God because we have to trust him. Because God is generous with us, we don't have to be scarce with others. In fact, there's several stories in the Bible that express this very, um, this very idea where God is generous with somebody or share, Jesus shares a story of being generous with somebody and then they turn around and they act scared that they're gonna lose what they have to somebody else. And, and so th- this idea, because God is so generous with us, he's forgiven us and so we forgive others. I, let's consider these ways that God is generous with us and then expects us to be generous with other people. He says, forgive each other just as God in King Jesus has forgiven you. In Ephesians 4.32, Jesus told his disciples uh, after washing their feet, he says, as I, I've set you an example, now do as I have done. John 13.15, he says, each of you should use whatever gift God has given you, generously given you, to serve others. 1 Peter 4.10, as I have loved you, Jesus says, so you must love one another in John 13. We read this in Matthew 10. Freely you've received from God. He's been generous with you. And so freely give. And so while greed breeds scarcity in our lives, it it causes us to hoard and to hold on to what we have and to be skeptical and critical of others, especially those in need, right? If If you begin to have enough to feel secure, you begin to look at others who don't have as though they have squandered it. Get a job, uh, help yourself, pull yourself up. That's what I had to do. So we get critical of other people. But God in our lives breeds generosity. God's work in our lives through the Holy Spirit causes us to give, to let go of this grip that we have on things, to be joyful and to be kind to others, especially to those who are in need, because we realize, God, I'm in need of you, and so I can be more generous to others in in need. You know, this time of year as we head into Christmas now. Thanksgiving is over so we can officially uh, talk about Christmas. This time often sheds greater light on whether we're living with a scarcity mentality or a generosity mentality. We either are going to go through the next month with a lot of anxiety and fear um, or we are going to be able to go through this with grace and handle this time of year with peace and faith. And and how we handle that time or this time helps reveal, am I living a scarcity mentality or am I living a generosity mentality? If God is your father, he is calling you to faith, to forgiveness, to live a life of generosity, knowing that the God we serve has enough, even when we feel like we don't. And so this week, and and really this next month, be on the lookout for ways that God is providing for you. 
Is there something that, that comes up, something that happens, somebody that shares something with you? Maybe they, they pay for your meal at McDonald's as you're in the drive-thru, or, uh, or you get a bonus, or something else happens. Is there ways that God is providing for you? Um, and, and then look for ways God is providing for you to then be generous to others, and then thank him for that opportunity as well. When we begin to recognize more, when we have our eyes open more to the ways that God is giving and blessing us, we can be more open then to the ways that God might be leading us to bless and give to others. We can learn a lot um, from James' harsh words and from the widow's offering, that we should not hoard resources, that we should not exploit others, that we should not trust in material possessions that are ultimately worthless in terms of our eternity. But these stories, they also teach us a more foundational truth, that we should live our lives in light of God's coming reality, and that we should handle our money in accordingly to God coming back and to everything being changed. So we can choose to make financial decisions with the reality of God's coming judgment, the reality of our hope of eternal life, our total redemption of creation. And we can make decisions with that in mind. And when we do, we can freely give. We can fight injustice. We can steward our resources well when we understand what is really going on we understand that we're living not for this life, but for the life to come. And so if God's kingdom is more real to us than the false stories and temptations of the world, which tell us to get as much as we can and then hold on to it, when we live in that reality, we'll make wiser decisions about our money. We'll live more generously. We'll be motivated by grace and not manipulated by greed. We'll learn to find pleasure in, in following God, in storing up treasure for eternity. We will live with the generosity mentality, and then we'll look more like Jesus in our day-to-day -day life. Let's pray. God, thanks for giving to us all that you give. There's so much, and honestly, God, most of the time, at least I get used to what you've provided and then even begin to think I deserve it. Help me to live with open hands, an open heart, to see how generous you have been and then to respond with generosity to others. God, help us to be a generous church, generous people, not living in fear so that we're holding on to everything as though we might lose out or miss out. But living in faith, believing that, that even if everything we have is taken, you can, if you choose, give it all back. And even if you don't, we believe we have a greater reward in eternity. And so help us to live with our real life in mind real life that's going to be lived when Jesus returns and everything is set right. God, thanks for loving us. Thank you for getting us through this morning. 
Be with us this week. Help us to have eyes to see how you are blessing and then eyes to see so we can bless others. In Jesus' name.